there and I'm two hours ahead of uh, Adrian. So it's just, I think it's just a little tricky. So you, you actually live in the future then? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I'm wow. on vacation with my family in Hawaii. So that this is a real background, oh. not a fake. Hey, everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. How are you? Hey, hey. Uh, I hope you're doing good. I got to talk quick because this podcast is long. And so if I cut off some time here, it'll give me more time there. But I still want to say hi, and how's it going? I'm pretty psyched about today's podcast, because we're going to talk to Courtney Nash and Adrian Cockcroft. So you know Adrian for sure, and Courtney's going to be someone I'm really excited for you to meet, because I think you're going to adore her, because she's a genius. And they're going to talk about reliability in the big form, the form that we talk about all the time as well. It's a conversation around a tool they've created in the DevOps space to learn from failure. And so if you can learn from failure, that's the way to learn. But the very best thing we can do, the thing that would make the biggest difference no matter what, who we are, is listen to the conversation. So without further ado, I won't belabor it. I miss you. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Do all that kind of stuff. Without belaboring it, I'll take you right on in to Adrian and the story that we're about to tell on learning from failure. But walk me through what you guys did. This is really interesting. Yeah, so I I have a background in neuroscience and, and actually sort of human performance and skill learning. So that's that's sort of way back in, in my world. And then I ended up kind of running off and joining the internet. Um, and, uh, and, and so across the way, I, I, I used to chair the Velocity Conference with John Alspaugh. And and that sort of sent me down this this whole rabbit hole, right? As you can imagine. Um, yeah, for sure. And uh, uh, Richard Cook to come and and speak there, and that that sort of um, that sparked this whole interest in this space for me much more. Um, and that's that's around the time I probably met you too, Adrian. I think when I was at O'Reilly. So yeah. and um, I think Todd, Todd was a guest once, right? Yeah, I was there in New York City. You. It's, in New York, thought, okay. It's one of my. What, what year was that? It, well, it's one of my saddest stories because I got in my. I've got in earlier than I thought I was going to get, in, which never happens. And I walked mm. down to the hotel concierge. It was at the Hilton Hotel. Yep. And I said, yep. "What should I do tonight?" And the lady said, "I've got a ticket to Hamilton. I can give you." And I said, oh. And I didn't know what Hamilton was. And I said, oh, what is that? And she goes, well, it's a, it's a musical about Alexander Hamilton. And I said, oh, I just don't think I'd be interested. That sounds horrible. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I walked away. And to this day, that is one of my biggest regrets on earth. So I, mean, I, I have tried. To, I have tried many a time when I was there to get into that. So, oh, that is tragedy. That's totally tragedy. Yeah. Um, we were at the Hilton once a day early. And I was like laying away going, we got, what are we going to do tomorrow night? We've got a conference. I was there for some conference. And I looked up and saw, oh, um, Dave Gilmore's playing in New York at the Radio City Musical. Hang oh. on. I can see that if I go out of the hotel and look right. You can see it. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 so I just I didn't even wake up my wife to to say should I buy tickets I just like bought tickets because <laughs> you're smart and we we saw we saw the uh, like whenever it was that would the, have been... the tour they did it was the same tour where they did. 
they went to Pompeii and did the whole show. It was the yeah. same show they did at Pompeii, but yeah. they did it at Radio oh, wow. And they were at the Madison Square Gardens for a week, but they did a day or two at the Radio City. Oh, that's Music so Park. cool. It's this beautiful that's building. Cool. It's oh, yeah. one of the best things, but it's like, oh, random. Yeah. Where are we? <laughs> but that's, that's the cool thing. And that's we kind of lucky. the... That's the cool part of that philosophy. But I have no idea when I was there, but they're great conferences. I mean, they're amazing conferences. It was it was really it was really something else. Um and and so I wandered the wilds of a few startups after that, but I had um I had known the the CEO of Erica Casey for quite a while, um, also through through O'Reilly and all of the chaos community days and that I'd gone to a couple of those. Um and so when I got I got laid off <laughs> during the pandemic. And uh, they they called me up and said, "Hey, do you want to come uh, do research for us?" And I, I mean, the answer was obviously yes. So I started out doing product research. So Verica's in this uh, iteration of chaos engineering space, and I don't know how familiar you are with that stuff. Um, but but basically, like, obviously, we can't control how the complexity of our systems. We can't understand what's going to happen, and so we're going to sort of perturbate those systems to try to understand, you know, how they might react. And it's so, uh, so I was trying to study some of these technologies that they were building systems for Kubernetes, Kafka, like, you know, pick your buzzword. <laughs> um, and I, I want, I started looking around at, at incident reports, um, because I was looking for other places that this information existed, um, outside of, marketing and and you know all these other things and i started building this up from other existing resources and john sent me a bunch of stuff he was sitting on that he'd scraped from various places and, and then i looked around and i had about 2000 of these um and i started telling people what we were doing and and everyone kept saying we need that we want this like we should have this um this way of sort of sharing public incidents reports for internet companies, right so so we haven't had that doesn't exist really until until this sort of happens and uh so that's what the void the verica open incident database right is this collection of reports that other people have written we're not going off and and talking to people right we're right. we're collecting things that other so it's it's interesting because it's not everything right and it's right. only the companies and the people that choose to do this um, but it's still been kind of amazing what we've been able to find. And, and the goal was really to just try to elevate everyone's understanding of this and, and change the conversation in the industry. Right. Um, so we have, we have all the things, you know, about, <laughs> um, in, in software, right. We have, we have, uh, we have blame, we have shame, we have, uh, five whys, we have root cause, we have like all the things, right. Um, and because the internet is the world now, our, all our systems, we rely on this. Yeah. Um, and so certain things are becoming safety critical that we didn't even think of as such, right? So when WhatsApp goes down, you know, entire countries can't communicate because for lack of anything better, they built ad hoc infrastructure, right? On yeah. top of these things. Um, so, so we really wanted to change that that conversation and we were able to find a bunch of really interesting data from these so like so some of these reports are nothing they're just a quick little thing this happened we resolved it it's it's gone some of them are super in-depth like post-mortem reports uh those kinds of things and everything in between we have we have media articles and tw tweets and all everything possible because we kind of want to take a like a holistic look at this 
And the first thing that I wanted to do was was chase some myths that a lot of us talk about, right. things that, that, that John talks about or, or other people have talked about, right? Like, why should you or shouldn't you do root cause analysis? Why are things like the duration of an incident um, or the, the, the reported severity not telling you anything terribly meaningful, right, about your systems? Um, and we, we have a set of metrics, <laughs> for better or for worse, that have come from a, a series of research. Are you familiar with the DORA stuff at all i mean this is very niche in in, in the not, tech industry yeah so, no not so, so much from my end yeah the devops I, research association yeah. also has a book called accelerate it's nicole forsgren's the statistician puts it together yeah. and there's a whole group of people and gene kim was sort of drove, drove a lot of the publishing of that so yeah. it's a summary of sort of software productivity metrics but one of the metrics yep. they have in there is is you know basically are you keeping your systems up so they they i mean and to to their credit they did a, a huge service to the industry in terms of focusing on things that development teams can do to improve their velocity you know their all kinds of things and and so there's there's a i don't ever want people to think that i'm you know sort of poo-pooing this because it, it was one of the first large-scale research projects to focus on how software teams work and, and how they could potentially work better, right? But they sort of picked this one metric along the way that no one had spent a lot of time thinking about whether it was a good metric. So it's mean time to recover, okay? Um, and so that's from the point that somebody supposedly puts, like notices something. So your, 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 your system monitoring you know, services get weird, <laughs> right? Or some... You know, there's not like a horn that goes off. It's it's there's some of these are very obvious. Some of these are very subtle. But at some point, someone says, we've got a problem. And the, and at some point, theoretically, you do a bunch of work and it's it's fixed. Right. Right. And so people have used that that and then they take the average of those incidents, those durations of those incidents over time. So this mean time to resolve MTTR is one of the key metrics that comes out of that research that says it's a it's it's related to these other metrics, how frequently do you deploy, um, some other things like that, that they say indicate that you're sort of a high performer, a high performing software organization. Um, but the underlying data don't support averaging those kinds of things, right? And incidents are a mess. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> as, 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 as any kinds of incidents are a mess, right? Even outside of the software domain. Um, but we finally had enough of these data in one place that we could kind of look at what the distribution of those data look like. And so some of this was just stats 101 stuff. So right. if, you, if you're, if you know, if you have a nice normal curve, right, then you can take the mean of that. And then you can say all these things about those data. If you don't have a nice normal curve, if your data are skewed, then taking the mean of it really give, is problematic because right. you're not actually getting a picture, right? And that's that's what incident software incidents look like across every single company that we have in there. They're mostly resolved within a short period of time. I'm doing my left. This is your left, right? It looks good. <laughs> to do the mirror. They're mostly resolved within a short period of time, like within an hour or two, right? Oh, oh no. You go back and you look, you're like, did we push something? Oh, did things get weird right after we pushed a new you know, deploy. Oh, okay. Well, we'll revert that. Ah, oh, things go back to normal again. So there's a lot of really simple things that we can do 
So most things get resolved really quickly. And then there's this long tail of who knows what, right? right? And so we had enough data to show that you can't reliably take the mean of those and say that it has anything to do with how well your team is doing it, responding to incidents, how your systems are, any of that kind of a thing. Um, And because we really want people to get past these shallow metrics, as John refers to them, right? Um, and we were even able to show that the the reported duration and the and the reported severity of these things have have no relationship to each other. You can have long bad ones, short bad ones, right. long like you know one developer is working on it, and or like, sometimes people forget to hit end. Yeah. <laughs> like the data just oh whoops that was actually done, but we didn't you know so ones that are a blip. Um, and so there's a lot of myths in our industry about how we can say you know, what systems are reliable. Um, and, it, and it sort of prevents people from digging deeper, right? right. Um, they think they found the problem, fixed it, and it's never going to happen again. Um, and so I, I assume these are, I mean, I know from, from your work, but these are themes or, or problems that exist across industries. Absolutely. Yeah? absolutely. In fact, the, the idea that metrics um, tend to simplify is really a problem. I mean, it, it creates this huge problem. And the fact that you're able to get this data together is super interesting. Um, because what you learn I mean, is it's what's weird what you about don't it. Know. <laughs> I'm using what I, it, I still struggle with this. I'm using data that I, that I know are bad, but I have to use them to convince people that they're bad. <laughs> like right. It's a very weird, it's a weird space other than the kind of research that I used to do where you'd use I, I was interested in like, how do you show how people are good at things? Right. right? Um, and I'd love for us to get to that. Right. Like with the other thing that we don't see a lot of in the, in the void in these incident reports are people talking about near misses. There's very little of that. Right. And trying to sort of study successes and, and how humans adapt to these situations and, and why they work the majority of the time. We don't, we don't really talk about that a lot, you know, sort of in, in the industry as well. And so I'm trying to raise awareness of getting people to look at those near misses, those sources of adaptive capacity, right. right. And, and ultimately sort of success. Um, but we don't have any learning opportunities that, yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about learning from failure, obviously. And, and I think there's a set of companies that are working really hard at that. Um, but then there's this whole other, opportunity that's um and again it's like it, there's all these pressures right the pressures that lead to these incidents also lead to us not spending a lot of time looking at them production pressures business pressures right like ship you got to ship 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 <laughs> get yeah. the features out like, figure out what happened and move on um and and there's still not really a culture that spending the time looking deeper at those would actually help you have a better understanding of of what's happening in those systems and 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 with the people uh, you know involved in those systems and that need for so immediacy. That, you know, once you fix the problem, the problem goes away. So there's right, really no yeah. need to for stay. a while. The, the answer is always um, the enemy of the question, right? So you know, once you answer the question, right. then you don't have to ask the question anymore until right, the next yeah. one comes in, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the the one thing I'm trying to chase there's this. Uh, we call it Lauren's Law, but uh, and I know Adrian's probably familiar with this one. Um, Lauren Hochstein, who's a did you ever lap at Netflix, Adrian? Or I can't remember. I, yeah, I, I, I know him. Yeah, yeah, you know. Anyways, the, the 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 phenomenon there is that the remediation from one problem 
leads to the next one right in some way that's also very hard to sort of linearly you can't just point to it but you know right every adaptation is a change now to a complex system um so i don't know if we'll be able to chase some of those things but the fact that you're trying to do it is encouraging as can be because that's the problem with complexity is it's complex right it's we want it to be complicated but it's complex yeah exactly everything touches everything else and I think some of the, some of the long duration ones are actually chaotic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so there's these yeah. ones which I think some of the the sort of some modality in the data. The short ones are ones where you had a process for detecting it and figuring it out, and it all landed and everything was fine. But every now and again, everything is completely down, and your your observability's down, and you know there's just nothing you can do. So you have to go and invent some completely new process to recover from scratch. And those are usually very chaotic because nobody knows yeah. what to do. Right. So th- so there's a the really long tail here of really long duration ones are, are caused by these kinds of things where just you know literally. Um, you're you're blind. You have no idea what's actually going wrong. What has gone wrong, right? We've yeah. seen that happen a few times. Wow. Yeah, where yeah, people start realize that their yeah their alerting system was related to something else, and then that went down. And um, and I mean the other thing too, the other pattern in there that I'm somewhat see is like the lone expert, right? <laughs> Um, that's a, that's a common or sort of anti-pattern, I suppose. Um, and even just in some organizations, people spend a huge amount of time trying to figure out who they should talk to or who they should find that could help, you know, sort of solve this problem. Um, there's a, there's a interesting, you know, sort of meta analysis that folks at Spotify put out. Um, and I, I had him on our, our podcast about that because they have a, a, a squad, model um at spotify squad is one of these sort of you know each team is responsible for their own set of features and and they build them and then but so there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for things to get you know sort of very opaque and complex in there and and some of their patterns and incident response just have to do with figuring out which team is responsible for that service that your service talks to um and so that yeah that we we I find it fascinating that we seem to still, I don't know, Adrian, if you see this, like in in certain areas of, of, of software, we've gotten a lot better about this, but it seems to me that the prevailing metaphor is still the like shipped on disk mentality about software. Like we write code and it does what we want. And then, you know, we release that to people. And uh, obviously we've, we've moved on from that in right. the world of cloud and microservices and, you know, APIs and all of this. But it's, I feel like the mentality when it comes to things failing is still very much like, oh, well, we should, it, we should just be able to go figure this out. Yeah, it's sort of, the, there's sort of several approaches to DevOps. One of them is that we automate a lot of the operation stuff so that basically operators learn to develop ways to build their own automation. The, the other approach, and this was sort of coming at it when I was at Netflix, was we taught the developers yeah. to operate and said, you're on call. You're running stuff, and we built some systems of figuring out which piece had broken and calling that developer. So you were you were just always on call. If you if your code could take the site down or have some customer visible impact, then you knew that and you were on call. And that was just the model we built, and that caused. But most people didn't seem to copy that, mostly because people don't like being on call. Yeah, I was going to say because it's horrific. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. It's... But but it turns out if you put people on call, they get really good at writing reliable code that doesn't go wrong. <laughs> and and then they wrote code that says, well, if something went wrong, my code is going to tell you who broke, who else broke, so you don't call me. And one of the teams built a whole system, circuit breaker system, which basically, because they kept getting called, but the circuit breaker was basically a method for saying, well, I'm trying to call this other service. I'm trying to like say, I'm try trying to authenticate against say Facebook or something like that. But Facebook's currently down, so we can't authenticate. But it's not my problem. You know, it's it's Facebook, it's some other or it's the other team, right? It's some other API, something else. There's all these things that you depend on. And you basically say, this thing is broken right now and I'm I'm just gonna stop trying to call it, which is the circuit breaker thing. And every now and again I'll just have a quick poke to see if it's come back again. But I'm just gonna raise this big flag saying that this whole thing isn't working right now. And then, but but the fact, but it's basically it's finger pointing, and that that was a nice defensive sort of way of building it. Well, but again, yeah. some people build that way, but again, a lot of the systems we've end up building don't don't follow some of these practices. So. What's interesting is you can see that as finger pointing, which is you're exactly right, and I really like the fact that this is this unintended consequence that if you hang them with the giant anvil of responsibility around their neck their systems get more reliable because they don't want to carry the giant responsibility anvil but what really does in classic sort of um complexity theories it makes those couplings transparent yeah. and and that's yeah. always the key right is that, that you don't simplify complex systems which is what root cause does it's what five wise does it's really what the way we report information has done traditionally is it's tried to simplify and, and linearize if that, I made that yeah. word up. I don't know if that's right. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to work run with it. It's great. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> right. But it, it makes those couplings transparent. And that's been, that's been really important. One of the things you guys have done so beautifully, and I don't know if you've thought about it, is you've, you've socialized this ability to learn from failure so that it's not only, it's not only seen as valuable, but it's also... Oh, that's great. The greatest teacher. I'm wearing <laughs> perfect shirt. He's got his failure shirt it's on. It's a Qcon shirt, which is the last time Did I it. saw Courtney in yeah. person. I got it as conference. That's very cool. Yeah. But but not only do people talk about failure, but it's really seen as a is it's seen as a meaningful uh addition to the entire discipline and it's kinda yeah. sorta cool. I mean you you made it kinda cool. Well, we hope yeah. to. We hope to make it super cool so that everybody does it. I, I, I still get asked, you know, that it, it all comes down to the culture, right, of the organization. So I, I've been giving a talk on all these results for the last year or so. And, and inevitably, well, I get two things. I get the one person who tries to fight me, like it's usually ex-Google engineers. Right. No offense. Um, They're always there. Then, They're always there. <laughs> and then I get the people who come up to me and say, I, I, I love this. I get it. But like nobody at my organization is going to be on board with this. Like the legal team and the PR team are like, no way are we ever going to do this because it's going to show that we're, we're, we're idiots or we don't know what we're doing, you know, or we, we, we write bad software. And then I'm like, but if, if Google, Amazon, Facebook, not some, Facebook doesn't do a lot, right? Right. Netflix, like if these places are publishing this stuff and these are, you know, Mang now, are we Mang? What are we, Manga? I don't know. Um, bang for the reference used to be Facebook, Amazon, uh, Apple, Netflix, Google. That was the, the acronym in for like the top, you know, sort of yeah. software companies. Um, but then Facebook became meta and it all got really weird. Google became um, um, alphabet. Alphabet. That's so now right. it's just like, man, maybe. <laughs> I don't man. know. But it's a really long A, man. Just, uh... <laughs> 
But, um, you know, if these places are publishing these and, and they're regarded as the scions of our industry, then honestly, why, you know, why can't I'm seeing big changes at places like IBM and how they're yeah. doing that. Right. So yeah. like if they're doing it, you can't possibly look a fool. Yeah, no, and I, <laughs> like, and I agree. But, it's making such a huge difference. How important is it to unlearn before we learn? How important is it to bust the myth? See, I'm saying all these really difficult things. Myths. To bust. Myth. What's the plural of myth? Myths. Podcast words. Yeah. But but you how? Need more, you need some more Christmas cheer. Obviously. I do need more Christmas cheer. Yeah. How, how important is it to bust the myth? In order to learn the new things, because this is a really interesting question to me, I think. Do we have to unlearn um, before we learn? We do. And and honestly, what I've what I why I got so excited about this is for better or for worse, our industry is a very metric and data driven one, right? Um, and and everything is optimized based on numbers. And so every single incredibly smart person could come into this environment. John Allspa, David Woods, Richard Cook, Nicole Forrest, like all these people could come in and tell you, do things this way or don't do this is this is good, this is bad. But unless you show up with data, yeah, it just doesn't convince yeah. this group of people. Um and and so I've noticed this, like if I can, if I were to go give a talk about like why you shouldn't do root cause analysis and, and I still don't have the data on that, but I hope we get there, but why, you know, why MTTR isn't good and why these shallow data is, and people will be like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But when I get up there and I give you the data that shows that those things aren't useful, then it's like, I, I, I get much more interesting questions from people. I get angry people. Like I know we're hitting a nerve. Right. Um, and so that is that we, unfortunately, we tend to only unlearn by data in, in, in the software world. Um, and that, that just is what it is, but that's also then such a powerful tool if you can go get those data. Um, but, but you're so. shaking some pretty big paradigms, right? I mean, these are pretty, and the funny thing is that we, we went into root cause analysis without much data. It just seemed like a good idea. Everyone sort of saw it on the surface and said, this has to be the answer. Right. Yeah. But figure out what happened. <laughs> it's costing us lots to get out of that mindset, which that that part's difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Sort of extrapolating so over over extrapolating a simple system to right. a complex system. Right. Right. Yeah. If you got a piece of you know, if you got a thing that broke, it's a mechanical thing. You can see what it broke. Right. You can maybe yeah. see. You know, you can figure out what what variation in the manufacturing process caused it to broke, and it's sort of. And that yeah, is those things. MTTR those things get harder and harder. The closer you look, though, those do turn into complex systems. Right. But yeah. at least on the surface, a lot of the time, um, they they look simple. But then people have sort of taken those and metrics and used those metrics to apply to much more complex systems. I think that's where the yeah. real problem comes down because these systems are permanently in a state of being broken. They're right. they're always broken. They're always and, degraded. And they're always running in some degraded state, and then they are successfully doing whatever the business thing is. So there's always some incident going on. And we always had the Netflix thing when I was there. We had two levels of severity. It was like, do you need to fix it now, and can it wait for later? Right. And if you need to fix it now, you, we we would call you, get you on a phone call, and create an incident, a live incident. If it could be fixed later, we sent you an email and followed up and made sure you did something about it later, right? So we were always trying to convert things that made you wake up at night 
two things that would well, the thing about Netflix is busy time is 7 p.m. on a Sunday back in the day when the right. US was most of the business which is saying everyone yeah. wants to be at home watching TV with their kids which is the problem right so instead of watching TV with your kids you're actually trying to fix the t fix Netflix so that you can watch it with your kids so yeah. and, and we were growing so fast we had a world record you know spike in traffic every Sunday evening which if we weren't ready for it would take the site out right so that's kind of the that's one of the characteristics of these software systems is that some of them are growing very fast. That we're seeing this right now with Mastodon, people people sort of moving mm. off of Twitter to Mastodon, and the Mastodon servers keeling over pretty regularly under huge influxes of customers every time somebody at Twitter says something. Twitter says something stupid, and boom. All right. So that that kind of it's it's a characteristic of software systems which is all different to many of the other systems. I mean, a lot of the discussions that Todd has on his site about work sites and they're yeah. about, you know, manufacturing plants and things like that. And you're managing the workers in those plants, but you're not adding, you know, 10% more workers every week right. and trying to build a system that's, that, and all of a sudden, oh, we're just going to have 10 times as many customers turn up and expect yeah. the system to and work. Have to uh, but turn we, out this many more widgets. Yeah. yeah. And you can build systems, software systems that do that, right? Particularly in the cloud, you just scale up. You, when you get these flash sales, they just yeah. a huge system appears for long enough to do the sale goes away again. It's all very dynamic. If you manage it right, everything everything looks like it's working. But that's I think one of the real differences here. Um, but then the, the other core point, as Courtney said earlier, is that more and more of these systems are getting to be safety critical, and and that's that's the, these two trends. I wrote I just wrote the introduction. I, yeah. I met Courtney a few months ago to, at the conference and found out what she was doing and reviewed this and said, yeah, I'll write, a, I'll write an intro for it. And the intro is basically, it's getting more critical and we, we, we're we seeing more people thinking about this new view of safety and actually doing the blameless postmortems and publishing more incidents. And this is this will help you, even if you're brilliant at solving these incidents, being able to see the other other people and learn from them means you're learning as a collective industry rather than as individuals. And this is, I think, the, the, the airline analogy, the air, air yeah. industry analogy comes in. Exactly. This this idea. The other point I put in there was that the airlines that have the highest incident rate have the lowest number of large large failures and crashes and things right. like that. And that counts sounds counterintuitive until you realize that if you're suppressing the warning signals if you're if you have a culture that says I don't want to hear about bad things. Right. And people won't raise the alarms. Yeah. And and, and and you have to sort of you have to allow people to operate at those performance boundaries, right? right? At those edges. Otherwise they don't know the boundaries, the risks. Right. right? And they're always too too removed from where those problems are going to finally erupt. Right? right. And if they're not at the edges, the signal's so weak, you don't hear it. Right. So yeah. The, well, that's the signal that the blonde end gets back up here. Right. right, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and, and so the, the airline analogy is really what I use a lot. We need to share these incidents because collectively we will, we will learn from each other. We will get better. Um, and uh, I, the other thing that I just wanted to talk about in terms of sort of, you know, human performance and, and what metrics we're collecting. Some of the things that I'm trying to encourage people to do are to start collecting data on how people actually respond. So things like I could sort of mention the Spotify example earlier, but like how many people get paged? How many people are actively hands on involved in an incident? Are there concurrent incidents running at the same time? You know, like there's all these interesting socio-technical data that will tell you a lot more than obviously 
the shallow things well. Um, and so I, it's, there's tools even coming out now that are going to allow you to do some of that. There's a, a company called Jelly um, that was started by uh, Nora Jones, um, who was also at Netflix. Right. And they sort of can help you see that, right? They can You can see which Slack channels, which people, they, they sort of help you, they build timelines for you, you know, and, and help you then go back and do the analysis and, and look at those kinds of things. Um, so I think that's, it's really fascinating. There's a couple of companies that are starting to develop sort of tooling um, in that space, which is a really positive sign. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, in my opinion, um, which is, uh, I don't know if there is an, equi- uh, there must be equivalents of that in, in other industries. I don't know if they're good tooling or bad tooling necessarily that's prob- for sort of safety and there's incidents. Some, right? yeah, there's probably some people working predictive failure for some mechanical chem- chemical systems, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. The whole process safety side of that looks at it. Although generally I'm really excited by what you're saying because we've tended to look at the response to the event as a different category as is as not a part of um a, a way to understand the event but in fact but it's a beautiful it way be, right? yeah, it's a beautiful way to understand yeah. the event yeah um and you know the the other theme that i just try to hammer home is how much people are critical to yeah. these systems you know adrian mentioned we have also have a very strong focus on automation um mostly for good but not always <laughs> um and and the notion that well, first of all, you have to have people to manage the automation. Um, right. The automation doesn't manage itself, ironically. Um, and uh, but the but people, you I mean, you even said this, Adrian. Like, if you manage that well, then it will go well. But it's like the people are still doing that, right? The people are still managing. They're still noticing when things are going wrong. You know, there are these pockets of adaptive capacity. And if you're not studying that as a part of your incidents, then you're definitely missing yeah. the whole picture. There's a you know, like a jokey phrase that says to fail is human to fail and deploy it globally is devops <laughs> <laughs> to, auto, yeah, to automatically deploy it you know right so you i just do one thing on one machine but you can with, that, with all this automation you can simultaneously take out everything at once in one go right so that's kind of one of those problems yeah. and so you have to think about okay what's my uh do i have a, a contingency like before you do everything what's my can i revert it all these kinds of things. So the automation needs to be thought through to be a bit more reversible. And there are some class, if you design the system in such a way that things are reversible, which is not every, a lot of software systems aren't designed with this in mind. And the systems, a lot of the architecture we built going back to Netflix again, was actually designed in order to make it easier to do these kinds of things. Right. And a lot of the chaos engineering stuff that Netflix does is so advanced because the the architecture was built to be chaos engineered in the first place, whereas you can't add chaos engineering, you can't add a lot of this um, sort of failure injection to systems that are out there because they just keel over. Right. Right. Whereas the, yeah. the system, we built it. the system with the assumption that, you know, in this environment, so it grew up in an environment where all of this testing was happening. And so if you tried anything that didn't fit, it wouldn't you know, get kicked out. You have to try again. So it sort of conditioned a lot of re- reliable code being written. And some of those ideas are being taken off to other places. There was a good blog post from Capital One recently on you know, lots of credit card banking automation. They really adopted a lot of the sort of Netflix mindset 
and they're doing chaos engineering and they they survive the outage of a zone or a region on, on the cloud, things like that. Zones are an entire data center right. and a region is a sort of a, a you know, regional data center cluster. And they've, they've figured out how to, they've run, I know they have run exercises where they just take down their East Coast operation, run on the West Coast without anybody knowing that this was happening, right? Those kinds of things are, um, what you can do, but you have to set out to do it and work on it, and it's hard work. And and that way, it's it sort of goes back to the idea that you get the failure you want, not the failure <laughs> you get, right? I mean, yeah. which, which, you and you get it at a time when everybody's like awake and yeah, yeah, and ready for it, and you're not just about to deploy something or announce your quarterly numbers or whatever, right? All those bad times, right? So you, there's there's. Yeah, you you you're getting. You're, I mean, it's just testing. Like, yeah. How do how do you know the thing's going to work? It's you. You've got this theory that it should be able to survive a certain type of failure mode, but until you've actually introduced that failure mode to show that it survives it, you don't. You can't really be confident that you've done that. And that's effectively what this is all about. You, you're trying to introduce the errors that you think you've got, got you've guarded against to show that you have actually done it. But then what the what the what the void will do, what all these testing, oh, there's a bunch more incidents. We hadn't thought of this. What happened? There was one case where somebody forgot to renew their domain name. Yep. It was a SaaS provider. Like the whole company was offline. It turns out all of their, their product was on that domain name. Their internal email was on that domain name. Every subscription to every service they had was on that domain name. Oh, no. And everything was down. So the, there were... The CEO was was apologizing on Twitter for about a day until they got the whole thing back together again, right? So, yeah. oh yeah, we should remember that. I use this as an example to go and yeah, make check sure that. Your, make sure your domain name doesn't time. You know, like somebody somewhere is not paying attention to you because somebody that was getting the email that registered the domain name left. So you know, exactly. Yeah, those those <laughs> kinds of things happen. Or, or um, security certificates timing out is the common mm -hmm. one that takes stuff out. Wow. What an yeah. what an amazing conversation, you guys! This is this has been really great, so thoughtful. Sorry. I mean, this is I so good. I turned the camera off there um, because I think I don't know if my internet um, was giving us issues. I'm still know. laughing at the fact that you said this is not a fake background. You really because every, <laughs> everyone has that background, but you are actually you actually have that background. So that's yeah, amazing. I, do. I can't cool. thank you guys enough. This has been great. What what a fun and important conversation. It was great fun. So there you have it. What'd you think? I told you you'd like this. It was a really great podcast. Sorry I ran along. Just too much good stuff. Couldn't think what to cut. You know the deal. I mean, it's the same old excuse, but I think the value is really high. And I love it when Adrian and and now Courtney, they bring so much to the table in what they're doing and what they're thinking about. So this was a great pod. I'm so glad you got to be a part of it. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Tell everybody. You're always welcome. It's always a good time. I mean, I promise you that. Until then, learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind. Be good to each other. Check in on one another. And uh, for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Be safe.